Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm so glad you decided to join us again today. And today I'm going to talk about training staff, because I know that that's a huge issue for many of us with data collection, with behavior plans, and pretty much everything else in the classroom. As we all know, the days of paraprofessionals making copies and filling in for office work are pretty much done. And We also know that we cannot do the jobs that we do in our special education classrooms or support the students in general education classrooms without the help of paraprofessionals. So from surveying that I do when I'm training or, and my experience working in a very wide range of school districts across the U.S., I know that most paraprofessionals walk into the classroom with very limited training. They might have none They might have first aid, CPR, maybe your crisis management training. They might have rules and regulations. They might have none of those. And that means that usually the training is left up to you. And right about now, you're probably saying some variation of these two things to yourself. What? I just started in this job. No one taught me how to train adults. Or, right, and who has time for that? But no worries, I got you covered. Today, I've got a quick review of what we know about the best practice in training adults and some tips on how to get it done in your classroom. So let's get started. So let's get started by talking about what the best practices in training paraprofessionals are. So if you're one of the folks who responded to saying no one trained you to train paraprofessionals or any adults, trust me that you are not alone. Most teacher preparation programs do not talk about managing and training staff as part of their curriculum. It's not a required skill on most certification exams, so it doesn't really make it into the curriculum. Plus, on your internships and student teaching, you are the one being taught, which makes it a little hard to demonstrate how to teach others, although it really should be a critical skill in that area as well. But neither here nor there, let's talk about what we know about adult learning and training paraprofessionals in the classroom in general. So the most effective training models, as demonstrated by our research, include a series of providing information or instruction, demonstration of the skill or modeling the skill, practice and coaching, sometimes called rehearsal, and it can be done as a role play or in the moment, and providing feedback on performance, both positive and corrective. So when we look across the literature, that's really what we know as the steps that lead to the most successful behavior change. There are a lot of different models of this. Sometimes it's called coaching. Sometimes it's called mentoring. Sometimes it's called leadership. 
In ABA, we refer to it as behavioral skills training. And it's the same set of strategies that our research has told us for years are the most effective. So let's talk for a minute about why that lecture or didactic information isn't sufficient to train paraprofessionals. You know, we often tend to think that lecture-based training is the best. At least it's the one that's most accessible, and it's certainly one of the easiest for us to do. And we are frustrated that our paraprofessionals don't get included on professional development days in a lot of situations. But really, what we learn best in an instructional context like lectures is really basic overview information. We can get introduction to new ideas and frameworks of programs. Very few people actually leave that lecture type training and actually make changes in their classroom. So we don't see a carryover. Now we do for some teachers, some adults listen to that. It sparks new ideas and they build it into what they're doing. But that isn't true across the board. So these are strategy, that lecture strategy doesn't really change behavior. Doing things is what actually changes the way we interact and teach. And getting reinforcement and correction is what keeps our behavior change going in the right direction. So I want to talk about playing the piano for a minute. And you may say, what does piano playing have to do with training? And hopefully you will find out. So think about learning how to play the piano. I can stand up and trust me, I can tell you all about the keys. I can tell you how to read music. I can tell you what the notes are, the pedals do. Now you know about the piano. So I've told you all that. Can you play the piano? Probably not, assuming that you've never played the piano before. And I will tell you, as someone who took piano lessons for eight years, that would not be sufficient for me. Next up, I can model piano playing for you. So think about this. Does going to a concert and watching a performance of of someone playing the piano change your ability to play the piano? I wish it did because I could have reclaimed a good part of my childhood that was spent practicing the piano. Even when we have a model that isn't a virtuoso, and even when we're just giving pieces at the person's level of skills, so starting with a simple piece, you might gain skills from watching that and begin to play adequately. But without feedback, you probably don't know what you're doing wrong. So you don't know what to listen for. And I mean, it's a piano, so you will probably know if the notes you play aren't right, (laughs) unless you're tone deaf, in which case you're not getting auditory feedback correctly. And, but you might not know about the timing and the volume and the pedal use as adeptly as you would if you have feedback on what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. In order to get there, I'm going to need a lot of practice. And since I took piano lessons for eight years in my childhood, I probably need more practice because I still can't play the piano. I could play it in a very rudimentary way after all that. Some staff will need more practice than others, and some will need more feedback than others on specific areas. But the practice and the feedback are critical components to being a skilled at playing the piano. And in your staff's case, 
Those are critical elements in learning new behaviors and training adults, just like training our students, is training new habits, training new behaviors. Training is all about creating new habits. So if you've ever taken music lessons, you know that certain parts of playing an instrument becomes a habit if you've taken it for any length of time. You have to get to the point where you don't even think about what your hands are doing when you're reading the music, for instance. And trust me, that habit doesn't come overnight. I spent three years playing the oboe, and I was more successful at that than I was at the piano. But when I started, my focus was on where to put my fingers to play the specific notes. And that's what I had to think about every time I read a note in the music. By the end of three years, though, I never thought about where my fingers were. I thought about the notes and my fingers did their job on their own. Think about driving. It's the same thing. You have to be teaching. You have to practice. That's why you get a a learner's permit. So once you have your learner's permit, you have to practice and get feedback. That's why you need supervision. So eventually you get to the point where you drive from school to home at the end of the day and you have no idea how you got there. because it's happening all so automatically. It's the same principles when we're training adults in the classroom. Training paraprofessionals or any other adults to work with students is exactly the same. When we start working in the classroom, you are thinking about everything you say and do in detail. Over time, you become more adept and more comfortable and you stop thinking about what to say and it just happens. You just say it. For instance, when you start to learn to ignore challenging behavior, think back to the first time someone told you to do that. It probably sounded really weird. Like, why in the world would I not respond to that behavior? And I get that reaction a lot. The idea that you shouldn't say something is just doesn't make sense. And you really had to work at it to make it happen. And it was a lot of work to really fight that impulse to say something. And maybe it still is. If you haven't been doing it for long, you probably are still working at it. But if you've been at this for a while, it probably comes a second nature. And you might not even notice the behavior anymore because you've gotten so good at not attending to it. So knowing the critical elements to changing behavior, which is the same as changing habits, let's talk about how you can possibly get that modeling, that repetition, and that feedback into your classroom when you have 50 million other things that you need to be focusing on. So the first is we do need to present information. So we do need to present some type of overview so they know where they're coming from. So how do we present them with information about why we do what we do and what the strategies are when they come to school and leave school at the same time as the students? So you have no planning time with your staff. I get that. I'm not a big fan of putting a video in for the students to watch to allow the staff to meet, and I recognize that sometimes it has to be done. But I like to find other solutions that keep the students engaged. I also know that many of our students would not be watching that video after a few minutes, so it doesn't even always work as a strategy. So some strategies you might use to give the team instructional information without pulling away from instruction might be Make a quick three-minute video of how to implement the strategy. If you want, you can go to our free resource library on the blog, and you'll find videos of 30 behavioral strategies 
that I did that are three to five minutes long. They're free. They're in our free resource library. And I'll link how to sign up for them in the show notes. If you've done a webinar or part of the resource library, you may still need to re-register for them, but it'll all just go into the same account. Um, when we're, when making the video that you're making, you just need to explain what's being done and why. So this gives your staff the background information and it lets them know the overall expectations in using the strategy. So for instance, you might have a video that shows them how to complete a data sheet or just a video explaining why ignoring a behavior is important for a particular student based on the function of his behavior. Send the video to their phone or their iPad, and then just try to carve out a few minutes during lunch or specials, perhaps where you can give up a bit of your planning time to go supervise the students for five minutes so that the parent can step back and watch the video. That way they know why you're asking them to do what it, what you're asking them to do, why it's important and what it means. The next element is modeling or demonstrating the strategy. You could use a quick video for that as well. For instance, just set up your phone to video you implementing a curriculum during instruction or model prompting strategies in a quick video to show them what the different types of prompting would look like or how to fade prompts out. And you could do this with a student if you have video consent, or you could do it with a staff member. Similarly, you can walk them through how to complete a data sheet by just videoing how that works. If you're a member of the Special Educator Academy, we actually have several data sheet quick wins that are designed for you to download them and use them specifically for this purpose with your staff. And if you use my sample, sometimes I call them group data sheets, sometimes I call them embedded data sheets, where you have multiple students on a sheet, there's a free tutorial in my TPT store that has a downloadable video walking staff through how to use the data sheet, and you can use that. It's designed for that purpose. I'll link to that in the show notes. So just go to autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 23, and all of these links will be there. So what if we want to do hands-on modeling and how do we get the feedback done? So let's start with the fact that all of your training, especially your feedback, need to be embedded into the relationship that you're building with your team. And I talk a lot about building relationships with your team in episode two of the podcast. So go to autismclassroomresources.com slash episode two, and there's some tips in there on how to do that. But these are some strategies that may be helpful in being able to find the time and the way to train the staff hands-on. The first is to run a one-man down plan and step back from the class. So every two weeks or so, run a one-man down plan. Maybe later in the year, it's once a month. Now, I'm going to link out to a tutorial that I have on the blog. It's actually pulled directly from the Special Educator Academy, where we talk a lot about training paraprofessionals and building classroom teams. That quick win video will walk you through how to set up a one-man down plan that can be critical for training staff, but also is really helpful when it's flu season or any other time that you're short-staffed, like you probably are now if you're listening to this when I'm recording it. So to give you the short version of what a one-man down plan is, you're rearranging your schedule and your zoning plan to manage your classroom with fewer staff. I've had settings in which we had two men down, 
three men down plans as well. But the point is that you're creating a plan to keep everybody engaged while you step back to do some training. So using a one man down plan just for part of the day, you don't have to do it for the whole day. Have a paraprofessional that you're trying to train freed up, that's the one man down, so that they can observe you instructing specific lessons or managing a specific behavior during an activity. So that can be your modeling component. Have a staff member take over your center and you can step back and observe the staff implementing the strategies in that center. So take that opportunity to provide feedback, positive and corrective, in the moment. And this allows the paraprofessional to actually change and get further feedback on the spot. You can also do that without the one man down if you're talking about a large group activity. You could have the staff member of the one man down teach your regular activity and eliminate or just eliminate your activity and make the schedule different so that you can observe staff interactions with a student with challenging behavior. Use that opportunity to observe and give feedback on implementing the behavior plan. Or just eliminate your duties as the one man down and model for a staff member how to run his or her center or activity that you have them zoned for and give them feedback during that time. Some other ways that you can free yourself up, have someone else in the room run a group activity so that you can stand back and observe students' progress or provide training or modeling to other staff on their prompting. You could arrange for a related service provider to come in for a period of time during the day, one or two days a week, and they could run an activity which might free up a staff member and you to observe, model, and train. It also just allows you to step back and see how things are going. And I've seen this done a lot where speech and OT team up in a self-contained classroom and come in and do, say, a cooking activity once a week. And that becomes a time that you can pull staff because you've got some extra hands in the classroom. So does that mean that you're reducing the amount of instruction going on to your students when you run a one-man down program? It does. It definitely does. But here's the thing. You are sacrificing a day a month or a day every couple weeks in the first few weeks of school and maybe a day, you know, a month or every other month later to make sure that all of your students are getting the type of instruction they need from trained staff. And that means that on the other eight days of the two-week period, your students are getting better instruction across their day. So let me talk for a minute about strategies for giving feedback. And you want to remember first that feedback shouldn't stop when the person meets criteria for mastery. Just like our students, I shouldn't stop there. We need to feed the behavior or the skill in order to keep it going. And we need to prevent skills from slipping. And that's true for ourselves, not just for our staff, by correcting problems before they go too far. So I talk about giving feedback in much more detail in episode six of the podcast. So autismclassroomresources.com slash episode six to check it out. One of the important elements I talk about in that episode is the importance of having feedback go both ways. So part of team building is taking feedback from your staff to preventing that program slippage as well. So I talk a lot about those kinds of things in that episode, and I try to channel my inner Brene Brown about how we should be giving feedback as well. But 
I just want to add one element here in relation to making time for leaving feedback, given that we know that feedback needs to be ongoing over time. Don't be afraid to leave notes for your staff, particularly if they're positive. If you see something amazing, drop a quick email, text, or note about it when you get a chance. You want to let them know all those positive things because we want the positive to outweigh the negative, just like we do with our students. But you can also use notes to give feedback and communicate with staff about things like data that was collected. I often use post-it notes on data sheets to ask questions where there's limited time to talk about what was recorded. And I very often leave post-it notes on data collection forms with positive feedback. Oh, like, oh, this looks really good. The student's making great progress. Go you. Uh, Because the student's progress should definitely reflect and should reflect for you on the person's instruction. And even with small corrections, like maybe we need to up the number of easy questions so he gets reinforced more often, might be a note that I would leave on a data sheet. Now, let me just kind of sum it up. I know that training paraprofessionals in the classroom is hard. It's very hard to find the time and it's hard on the relationship and the team at times. But there are some advantages to the fact that we have to do as much hands-on training as we do. One is that the team will be trained in the strategies that are specific to the students that you work with. Generalized training is nice but nothing compares to knowing how to implement strategies that are specific to your students' behavior plans and their instructional needs. Second, classroom staff will know how to implement strategies the way you want them to be implemented. And let's face it, there are lots of different educational models out there. And while many of them are essentially the same strategies, Everyone may have a different language to talk about them, and that's just the nature of the field of education. So demonstrating and modeling strategies is a good way to get away from the jargon and focus on the actual implementation. And finally, training staff develops classroom teams. It builds collaboration, especially when you invite paraprofessionals to give you feedback on their performance in the classroom. That makes it a two-way street, And it helps you build those relationships that are important to keeping the team going. I would love to know your thoughts and questions about training staff to implement data, behavioral, and instructional strategies in the classroom. If you want to, hop on over to our free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com and share your thoughts and strategies. And also, if you found this podcast to be helpful or had thoughts you wanted to share, I would really love for you to share the episode with friends and tag me on Instagram at Autism Classroom Resources. Or leave a review on iTunes with a comment about what you liked or do both. That would be a real help to me and I would appreciate it. I've got a free download for you on some informational links that you can use for training paraprofessionals and more information at the blog post. So hop on over to autismclassroomresources.com episode 23. Thanks for spending this time with me and I hope to see you again for another episode next week. (laughs) 